For September 14th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 637. Perhaps we can carve out an exception. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet, and we're never happier than when we are sticking around and uh, hanging around and talking about the things that stick to our brains. Uh, just, uh, just you know, whatever whatever comes up. I mean, you can think of us like a, just like a, a mixture of different flavors... <laughs> You know, that just somehow uh, speak to speak to the season. I'm uh, I'm Matt Rather. I'm joined by my good friends, Peter Fenzel. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Matthew. Good to be back. It's always good to have you back, uh, Mark. Now, have you been on a on a journey to um, have you been on a journey to come bring exotic spices back from faraway lands to our uh, to our home shores? I, I'm glad you didn't say Orient or the Far East, but, you know, I just said those things. So we're there. Yes, from far exotic lands, um, from the mystical East, I bring, um, let's see here, nutmeg, cinnamon, um, clove. Oh, what can we make with that? Oh, I, I don't know. Let's think. I mean, here here's the thing, guys. It it comes earlier every year, wouldn't you say? I mean, the the signature colors of a particular season, the uh, signature smells, and you can just sort of taste the the cinnamon, the the allspice, the nutmeg, the ginger in the air, right? I'm talking, of course, about pumpkin spice season, which seems to. Woo-hoo! They come earlier and earlier every year. Uh, we went shopping today, went to the Trader Joe's, stood in line outside to, uh, you know, uh, observe the max capacity restrictions uh, and had a little socially distanced um socially distanced uh, shopping trip this morning. But let me tell you what we were never distant from. An illustration of a pumpkin. They were all over the, you know, fun little handmade kitschy Trader Joe's marketing pumpkins were up. I think they had like two end caps devoted to pumpkin based products, pumpkin spice based products. We, we, uh, and then also in the aisle, a lot of like all the, where they had the, the, like the pancake mix and the cookie batter and stuff, the cookie mix and stuff, all pumpkin themed, <laughs> all like pumpkin gingerbread, pumpkin banana bread, pumpkin. Uh, the one we got, I think, was pumpkin pancake and waffle mix. So everything, uh, uh, you know, all the all the pancakes and waffles for the next, I think, six or seven weeks are going to have to be uh, pumpkin themed. You know, we, it was uh, I, it was happening. It was uh, it was a pumpkin. It was a pumpkin patch. Almost, you know, uh, except the one thing, the one thing that was entirely missing was a uh, orange gourd or a um, or uh, even like canned pumpkin, like canned pumpkin flesh for use in in pies. So uh, it, it may not be a decorative gourd season, my friends, but it is pumpkin spice season. So uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a pumpkin spice latte? Pete Fenzel, have you ever had a pumpkin spice latte? 
you know, I can't say that I have. I might have tried one once a long, long. Oh, no, wait. I have had one. I ordered a regular latte and they gave me a pumpkin spice latte. And then I, I said to them, you made me a pumpkin spice latte. And I ordered a regular one. And he said, oh, <laughs> like, all right, bye. I took it, I left and I drank it and it was fine. Uh, so, so I have had a pumpkin spice latte. But you were, um, but it was involuntary. You were a victim of, of uh, pumpkin spice abuse. I mean, it, it, let's not trivialize consent. Um, I would say that it was acts. It was incidental. Perhaps it was maybe, I don't know. There's definitely a difference between unintended and involuntary. Uh, although that's a tricky one, right? It's like, uh, the idea that, that it was a result of my going to Starbucks and presumably if uh, presumably I had a moment of confrontation with my initial intention of going to Starbucks, whereby the specific nature of the drink that I received from going there was considered by me uh, as, uh, is this really the reason that I am here? <laughs> right? Like, like I went to order a grande latte, right? Which for a long time I would order a medium latte because, you know, let's not be silly about things. And so, uh, and a medium latte, yeah, sure, I would get it. And, um, and I got a pumpkin spice latte instead. And when I looked at it, I was like, well, maybe I just wanted to get out. Right. It's like maybe I just wanted something warm. Maybe I just wanted some caffeine. Uh, what was it that brought me here? Uh, what, is it just the season? Is it just what's in the air? But this presumption, right, which, of course, now I know is uh, based on availability bias and availability heuristic, because if you have 100 people who order a pumpkin spice latte and someone comes in and orders a pumpkin ice latte, like your brain is going to hear pumpkin spice latte. Right. Um, I don't even know what an pumpkin ice latte is. I think it's one of the fancy cookies. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so. I would say that I had a semi-involuntary. I had a voluntary. I dr- voluntarily drank a pumpkin spice latte. Uh-huh. I did not purposefully order a pumpkin spice latte. That, that, it, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. So this this is like a real. Some people are born with pumpkin spice. Some people achieve pumpkin spice, and others have pumpkin spice thrust upon them. <laughs> and you are you are in the last category. Yes, category three, the, Mark, the proudest category. Mark, I'm not saying I'm a hero. Man. <laughs> well, what's it a hero? Time, but time. sometimes there's a man. Times, yes. <laughs> in these, this in is these, also like three years ago. Yeah, it is. But. It is the highly precedented latte for these unprecedented times. Yeah. Mark, uh, Mark, have you, sir, had a pumpkin spice latte? Um, I'm pretty sure that I have. I can't recall the, like a specific incident where I ordered it or had it involuntary foisted upon me, uh, as it happened to Pete. Um, but I'll put it. Let's put it this way, right? Like, as much as I might try to come off as a coastal elite, as a true original. <laughs> on this podcast i am in fact hashtag basic and as a hashtag basic person who's lived in manhattan for uh well over 15 years um uh as each year has progressed uh, the chances of me having consumed a pumpkin spice latte uh, have increased to one so statistically speaking <laughs> i have um almost assuredly consumed a pumpkin spice latte you know what i'm sure i enjoyed it because let me tell you uh when it comes to thanksgiving time uh, my number one dessert choice is certainly a pumpkin pie, which nominally contains uh, some sort of pumpkin, I believe. Does it not? Yeah, it ha- contains it contains okay, both it both pumpkin and pumpkin yeah. spice. Yes, I Doubly believe pumpkin. pumpkin spice is a spice, of course, not in the flavor of a pumpkin, but for a pumpkin. 
for the sort of culinary enjoyment. Although, Matt, did you want to go more in sort of kind of did you want to Columbo this and like I do I, the details? But though, I actually I'm I'm really I want to I want to um what I want to do is sorry I can't do Peter Falk um the. I, I want to kind of delve into what Mark said because I, I think, we, Mark, I think you've proposed a law or an axiom, and we're going to call it Lee's Law. It's a uh, corollary to Godwin's Law, and it is a, as the uh, as the number of years that you live in a major metropolitan area approaches infinity, uh, the probability that you have consumed a pumpkin spice latte approaches one. Um, and and that's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's demonstrably true for... Um, for the you know this this podcast anyway, I have not had a pumpkin spice latte. At least to my to my certain knowledge, I have not had a pumpkin pumpkin spice latte. Uh, if I suppose if called to testify in court, I, I would have to say I do not recall having any pumpkin spice latte. My uh, seasonal Starbucks latte is the eggnog latte, and I have one of them per year. Uh, I, you know, drink it real slow. Uh, I get a grande because I remember when grande was large, meaning large in Latin and Italian and Spanish and what, you know, whatever, uh, romance language you, uh, you care to, um, you care to consult. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's mostly eggnog and it has a little bit of coffee in it and it's delicious and it contains 8,000 calories. And so I have one as my... My, uh, as my seasonal treat. It's something that, that, uh, when, when he lived in LA, my dad and I used to do together at, um, at Christmas time. So I, it's kind of a nostalgic and sentimental thing for me. My one pumpkin spice latte. I usually text him a picture of it. Uh, all. You mean, you mean eggnog, eggnog latte? Oh, not no, not, not but spice. sorry, Matt, sorry. You, you, sir, are a true original. You're not hashtag basic. I don't. Well, like I, I am. I, I don't recall. major metropolitan area, so you will defy these laws. Uh, your, your Honor, I do not. Uh, I, I do not recall whether or not I am hashtag basic, but Lee's law is binding on all, so it is. It is highly likely that I have had a pumpkin spice latte. No, the the eggnog latte. You are you are correct with the uh, with the whipped cream piled high like a like a frosting of snow on the tips of a fir tree, and the uh, the what the the candy cane sprinkles and nutmeg dusting to uh you know to to commemorate the blood of jesus christ who died for our sins so let's talk about pumpkin spice a little bit right because pumpkin spice doesn't actually refer to pumpkin pumpkin spice uh, is like uh some proportion some combination of the cookie spices of the like the christmas cookie spices which are like ginger and nutmeg and cinnamon and the other ones um uh clove and and allspice right like anything that you would anything that you would put into like mulled cider or something like that any you know anything that you would um mull wine with anything any spice that like you buy once a year for your thanksgiving or christmas or you know uh, get together if you celebrate those holidays and you host people for them and then don't ever touch again for the rest of the year. So here's the thing. Pumpkin spice does not necessarily have to contain pumpkin. 
Right. You could say that a gingerbread cookie is a pumpkin spice cookie, you know, because it has all in some capacity, it could conceivably have all of the the pumpkin spices in them. So your your gingerbread man is a is a pumpkin spice man. Um, And whether that means you can catch him uh, or not, if you run, run as fast as you can, I'll, you know, leave as an exercise to the reader. But uh, it's it, it is interesting that it is not the pumpkin. I mean, the pumpkin is present, but it's present as an absence. And I think we need a deconstructionist here to uh, really piece out the difference um, of all of this stuff. Because, like, does I think pumpkin spice has the pumpkin spices, but also has pumpkin flavor in it as well. But that's not necessary if we are to be really strict about what we mean by um what we mean by pumpkin spice. You know, there is there is a notional pumpkin, uh, but there are real spices. And that's uh that you know that is what is so infuriating, I think, to so many people uh about this season. I but I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's yeah, yeah, maybe that's I, just I'm me. Just Pete. rolling this around. So <laughs> wait, roll, it, rolling is, the pumpkin is it around. Really infuriating to so many people. Is that really what's infuriating to people? I don't know. I feel like there. I feel like there's a performative backlash to yeah. pumpkin spice season. Uh, and you know, it's uh, like most things. It's uh, in our culture. It's an excuse for some misogyny. And uh, yeah, right. Like uh, something, something scarves and yoga pants. Something, something, visco, something, something, pumpkin spice latte, right? It goes, it goes more than that, uh, more or less like that. But then yeah, I've seen people take, I've seen people taking it back and like, uh, very proudly, like the counter backlash, the, the traditional backlash and then the traditional counter backlash to the like, no, I like my, I like my pumpkin spice latte. I like my whatever orange manicure. I like my, uh, Halloween themed sweater for my small dog you know like that's the these these are people like kind of loud and proud being uh uh being pumpkin spice enthusiasts and loving the things uh loving the things that they love so like so i mean like most things like uh most things on the internet whether inconsequential like this or of tremendous consequence like big social movements or like uh political things um the the social media dynamics are are uh predictable um I, a little tiresome, I suppose, and uh, and wrote, but yeah, I, th- I mean, yeah. Pete, yes, I think there is. I, and Mark, you see also a pumpkin spice backlash uh, on a regular basis, like clockwork, yeah, like so, the like the swallows so the returning book- to Capistrano. Sorry, exactly like the swallows returning to Capistrano. <laughs> um, the, the, the the bulk of the outrage, uh, quote unquote outrage, is as you described it, Matt. That's kind of like you know, excuse for misogyny and the uh, the hashtag basicness that I was referring to uh, at the top of the show. Uh, the other aspect of the quote-unquote outrage is that um, Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks, the main purveyors of pumpkin spice lattes in these United States of America, um, since uh, uh, the 2010-2011, according to this graph from Market Watch, which we'll link to in the show notes, um, they've been releasing them earlier and earlier in the calendar year. Uh, it used to be something that started in September, like early September, and Progressive got earlier and earlier until, like, uh, basically now it's a late August thing that it comes out. And then... Um, if you want to get on a soapbox and talk about climate change and about how still it's like 100 degrees outside in most, it could be 100 degrees in August in, uh, in, a, in a major a new, uh, American metropolitan area. And yet this um, avatar of fall is appearing before us. It, it, it seems absurd. And I think there's there's some there there 
to that, right? Um, I mean, you could always be angry about climate change. There's never not a good time to be angry about climate change. So um, that is an aspect of it as well. But just to like briefly tease that out here and go on a, on a, on a business and kind of marketing uh, tangent on this and then back to the, the semiotics of, of pumpkin spice uh, in a little bit. But like um, all that's really going on here, right, is that um, uh, these coffee purveyors, these drink purveyors, are saying that you know we can create some hype around this limited availability product. We can only sell it for a certain period of the year, and um, you know we have to keep it special. Um, but <laughs> if we can expand expand the period of time which we sell it and make some more money for ourselves while also not diminishing its specialness, well, let's just keep doing that. And so all we're doing, it, it, we're just seeing kind of you know, like experimentation or like A/B testing, or whatever you want to see. You know, say uh, that these companies are saying, hey, we can sell them earlier. We can keep the special and we can make more money and then everyone's happy because uh, they want this drink. And even if it's uh, still late August where it's 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 um, it's it's still summer and like the other cultural signifiers of fall aren't there, people want this drink. And so we're going to provide it to them. And so what's the harm in that? So my question to you then is like, is there harm in that? Like uh, giving this drink in late August? I mean, I would add one dynamic to this, which is that when you're considering purchase consideration as the so the, the touch point that we're talking about from a marketing standpoint is encountering pumpkin spice for the first time in the year. And this is going to happen to most people at some point, right? Like like puberty, it's like at some point, you know, changes are going to occur and you're going to notice them. <laughs> at some point, you're going you're to be looking around and there's going to be pumpkin spice. And that's an, a moment where... Someone is, you know, the, the, the customer, as it were, is thinking, <laughs> oh, you OK, pumpkin spice is back, baby. Uh, I, w- I would propose that I, I when I think of pumpkin spice, I think of Starbucks as being the coffee chain that really popularized this kind of uh, gingerbread coffee. Right. And uh, although gingerbread latte is the winter version of the autumnal pumpkin spice, even though gingerbread contains nominally the ingredients in pumpkin spice. Uh, but uh, but before back before Dunkin Donuts had pumpkin spice latte, Starbucks released the, the pumpkin spice latte pretty late in September. Right. Or like at least in mid-September. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen it accelerate. Uh, Dunkin Donuts accelerated it first is basically what I want to say that that because, Mark, you provided this great uh, this great chart that you're showing to us that maybe we can include in the show notes which shows that through the early 2010s, so 2011, 2012, 2013, Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks released the pumpkin spice latte in about the same week in early September. It crept up by a couple of days, but it was a sort of early September drink that it rolled out, and it looked like it was moving in that direction. Then from 2014 through to uh, 2017, Dunkin' Donuts made a real push to release their pumpkin spice lattes early. And you can see they would want to do that because they want your first encounter with pumpkin spice, which is really the only time when pumpkin spice is notable, is that touch point when you first, after that, it becomes ubiquitous. But that first time that you see it, it's notable. They want that to be an interaction with their brand so that hopefully you get into the habit of going to Dunkin' Donuts for your first pumpkin spice and not to Starbucks. And then you keep going to Dunkin' Donuts, right? It's like, you don't make a decision of which coffee chain to go to every single day unless, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're sort of quite the dilettante. Right. And it's like, oh, well, today I'll go. To, actually, I used to do that. I used to be like, oh, man, today I'm going to go to Boston Coffee Company because they're going to have the single the single origin stuff. And then, oh, today I'm going to go over to uh, 
to to the the Appleton Cafe because you know I like their cookies and but I don't, I think a lot of the time especially when you, when big chain brands are thinking it's like well when do we steer the customer in our direction so I would not blame Starbucks because Starbucks actually didn't accelerate the pumpkin spice latte into August until 2018 they, presumably when pushed by Dunkin Donuts yeah they drew first orange blood yeah. <laughs> and and I guess so the and the idea also is just of course as you mentioned occasion Right. You know, occasion is a reason that people spend money. Oh, it's a special occasion and I'm going to spend money on this special occasion. And so you can you can charge extra for a movie that's a special occasion than you can for watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom on a streaming service. Right. Um, although that is always an occasion. But you know what I mean? Right. The tentpole concept is a tentpole drink uh, because you need to put a little tent on top of it, because if you put a t- regular top on it, all of the sugary creamy goodness on top is going to get totally blasted um but yeah so so the question so i guess i would say there's been an arms race right and it's a prisoner's dilemma and starbucks tried to fight the good fight and failed and eventually capitulated um dunkin donuts is uh pumpkin spice latte has been out since mid-august at this point and starbucks is merely releasing it late august is this a problem i think it's a problem i think i think it's it's because here's the thing i don't think pumpkin spice is basic I don't think I don't think that we should just submit to the proposition that pumpkin spice is a basic thing, right? Uh, the idea. Can you just being, very briefly like define basic? Uh, sure, and I'm sure everybody will define it in different ways, like all like all good controversial words. But I would suggest that that basic, the term basic in my mind, and I'm sure we we could look it up on Urban Dictionary or something, refers to uh, it's an it's an insult of people who make unsophisticated taste choices based on the imitation, the uncritical imitation of other people who make up a sort of big part of the bell curve of society. Right. Um, and, and to and the point of misogyny earlier with discussion of misogyny earlier, I think it's usually applied to women as opposed to oh, men. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Well, for sure. And it's usually applied. I mean, there's a really funny, uh, there's a really funny um, uh, comedy sketch from, from Funny or Die back in the day. With uh, with the, the tick guy with Putty, what's his name? The guy he always talks like this, uh, and he squints a lot. And he plays the doctor who diagnoses her with you know basic, and then he calls her the name, um, which I won't repeat uh, out of respect. But uh, but yeah, it's it's but the I think that the idea it, there's there's a funniness to it because um, I think I think it has to do with the conflict between the allure of being like a young, young woman in adulthood. And the idea that everyone wants to look at you all the time is kind of a fact of your existence um, with the sort of critical ex- uh, examination of what the content that everybody is looking at actually is. Uh, right. And, and it's, it's like, Oh, well, you know, you have a hundred, you know, you have a hundred likes on this photo or a thousand, you know, extra followers or whatever, but you're, you're not posting anything interesting. Your, your taste isn't different enough from the other people that are like you for me to actually respect this following that you have. And I'm going to sort of degrade you for it. Um, but, but I would suggest that pumpkin is complicated (laughs) and, and a fondness for pumpkin spice is also complicated, uh, and has a lot of dynamics associated with it. And the fact that it's become very popular and ubiquitous doesn't necessarily make it less complicated on an underlying basis. Um, it's it's like it's strange. It's the most complicated drink that people get really excited about at any point during the year. 
right? You, I mean, pumpkin spice has more ingredients than whiskey, <laughs> right? Like it's, well, I don't it's know. Depends. It depends. What's depends the on the depends on the mash bill of the whiskey, right? Yeah. You could put, you know, bar, you know, uh, bourbon whiskey is mostly corn, but you know, wheat or barley or you know, rye or what have you. The, so well, yeah, but there's just as many different kinds of cloves, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> we talked. I mean, we talked about that. We talked about the. Is similar to the margarita with regards to its degree of complexity. It's a Occasionness, it's mixture of spicy and sweet, right? It's psychoactiveness, it's psychoactivity, and it's seasonality, right? <laughs> the, the the pumpkin spice latte is the is the workplace margarita of the fallen leaves, right? It is like like autumn's it is autumn's um, frozen margarita, right? Warm and toasty, um, but like why, right? Why is this combination of spices this toasty, comforting thing? Uh, it's rooted in, you know, these spices are not just used, you know, ginger wasn't invented for cookies shaped like people who, who like beg for mercy as you bite their heads off. Of course, ginger was invented as a symbiotic plant by <laughs> evolution, right? Like, uh, but, um, you know, this goes back to our, our spice podcast, right? Didn't we do a great spice podcast back in the day about the concept of spice, which we should revisit when Dune comes out? Uh, but uh but but like i mean i don't know i'll pause is that sufficient to say like like that that the quality so pumpkins it is important that pumpkin spice despite the fact that it has no pumpkin in it has the word pumpkin in it because the word pumpkin conjures through the essential and identifiable qualities of the pumpkin several cultural values that are associated with this with this occasion and the kind of ritual celebration of this time of year. So let's talk uh, among let's, them. Let's yeah. talk about that. What are the what are the qualities? The sort of the the intrinsic or the culturally determined qualities of the pumpkin that make it such a uh, uh, metonymy, right? For um, you know, for the kind for the the kind of brandable qualities that that these uh, multinational businesses wish for you to associate with their hot flavored milk. Okay, so I have a list here of the cultural qualities of the imagined <laughs> pumpkin. All right. Okay. First among them, first among them is roundness. <laughs> right. The pumpkins are round. Uh, not only they are more rounded than circular because a pumpkin is sort of notionally a Taurus, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but, but of course it's a Taurus where the, uh, you know, the, the sort of central point has been kind of eliminated by an overlap of the kind of interior ring. Yeah. Right. They are, they are a, uh, they're shaped in that sort of, you know, a circle, a circle of a circle. Right. And with circles on the side, <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's like Guy Fieri making cheese fries. Right? It's like <laughs> circles on circles with circles on the side and roundness. Right. Is uh, is is associated with with friendliness. Right. With no sharp points, with with a sort of uh, tactile quality of, of being you can touch things that are round. Right. And that also introduces this sort of concept of femininity. You know, I don't want to be crass, but like. You know, the pumpkin is is not I don't think I mean, I'll, I'll pose this question. Perhaps the misogyny and even the destructive urgency of pumpkin chunkin, the masculine discomfort with the femininity of the pumpkin and its power vis-a-vis its roundness. Right. <laughs> it is it is a it is not a phallic plant. Right. Um, and it's like, well, every other holiday we get to celebrate phallic things. Uh, you know, how, what's up with this round fruit? Yeah, um, that, is, that is Starbucks. Starbucks free idea of Starbucks. 
eggplant spice latte. Think about that. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Right? That, is, that is the emoji writes itself, right? Uh, <laughs> but yes, so so the pumpkin has many is uh, the imagined pumpkin has many social qualities chief among them is roundness uh when you are designing a comic character or kind of a, an animated character you would use you know roundness to indicate friendliness right uh as opposed to squareness to indicate kind of stolidness or reliability and in triangularity to include a sort of confrontationalness uh, or a threat right and so you know what is round uh, you know hey arnold's head is round or like the ninja turtle the, the 80s ninja, Tur- ninja turtles are round Right. The early 90s Ninja Turtles are round, but these sort of original dark Ninja Turtles are more angular and triangular. So the pumpkin is round Um, and to chunk a pumpkin is to like ritualistically uh, shatter roundness through straightness. Um, And then so so secondary among the qualities of the pumpkin is that it is nourishing. It has a lot of stuff in it that you eat. Right. And it, you, it has a scoopage. Right. It's like you open the pumpkin and there's just too much. There's too much in it for one person to eat in one sitting. Now, people don't sit down necessarily with a spoon and eat pumpkins and pumpkin seeds and like all this other stuff because it needs to be prepared. It's not a, it's not like a, a cantaloupe. Right. Um, but but the notion that within the pumpkin, even in the autumn, is is a sort of harvest is i mean of course autumn is is harvest time but it's like even in a time when most fruits and vegetables are out of season um the apple perhaps being a cousin to the to the pumpkin uh in in sort of uh north american culture in particular Mm. i would suggest but like it is round it is nourishing this is also connected to the idea pumpkin has a feminine power sort of mystically and gnostically and kind of in a pagan respect it's a very pagan fruit or a vegetable, right? I keep wanting to call it a fruit because it grows on a vine. Um, and no, it is, uh, and it, it is a fruit, isn't it? Because it contains it? its own seeds. But I, I'll let me uh, do some research on squash generally uh, while you continue because you're doing you're doing great. I'll note also that that pumpkin chunking uh, involves chunking the pumpkin, so uh, making many where there was one, and a kind of a wow. a unity. You know what I mean? A kind of like poly polysemous. Un, uh, disunity where once there was a a um you know harmonious uh unity which you know you can gender how you will but uh let me let me uh, look up squash on wikipedia right now i would i would suggest okay so of the imagined pumpkin's social qualities roundness nourishment i would add self-satisfaction as a quality that a pumpkin has uh we carve happy faces in pumpkins and what could they possibly be happy about right other than that they are pumpkins uh so (laughs) um a a pumpkin is self-satisfied because satisfying because you carve a happy face on it because you you pick it up and and you are happy when you get it and a picture of you having the pumpkin that you just took is a is a picture of kind of satisfaction. The pumpkin doesn't object to you picking it or taking it in any sort of particular way. And in fact, the pumpkin seems to more greatly express its gratitude of all of all uh, plants that are eaten because, of course, it's kind of ritualistically carved into a human image. Um, it also a pumpkin. Uh, I, I, would, I would add idleness. Idleness seems kind of the wrong idea. Um, repose. I would add to the notion of self-satisfaction the notion of repose, meaning that a pumpkin has a positive body image about itself. A pumpkin is big and round, and it sits around all the time, and it's full of cash. 
herpes and it's got a huge smile on its face. Right. Um, and, and this is a, an indication kind of ritualistically of the end of the summer of the sort of paradoxical summer asceticism and revelry, which is this idea that in the summer you have to not eat any food that's bad for you. So you can go to a bunch of parties and eat a whole bunch of food that's bad for you while not wearing any clothes. Right. And so this this sort of the pressure to have the beach body, the, the pump, the arrival of the pumpkin is kind of like the permission to relax because the pumpkin is big and round and orange and sits around all the time and is totally happy with itself. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, it just and it's like you go out to the field and it's not even hanging from the tree. It's like on the ground. Right. Um, and, it's relaxed, and so, yeah. The, yeah. So there's a there's a forgiveness to the pumpkin. The pumpkin gives the summer. Right. It's like the pumpkin in the autumn forgives the summer and allows you to kind of return to your to a sort of more gentle and kind way of treating yourself. Uh, And this is especially in sort of a binge dieting society. Uh, And so I think that it's associated with big sweaters, which is also because of the quality of roundness, because, of course, big sweaters kind of make the, the human form look rounder. But they also hide Right. Like the particular shape, if you're putting on extra weight, but they also are very comfortable. Right. And so they're about repose. Being on a couch with a blanket and a sweater is a pumpkin state of mind. Right. Uh, And and these things are all sort of associated with the pumpkin with the big happy face on it. I would also add uh, jocularity. Right. And semi toothlessness. The pumpkin is comfortable with its flaws. Pumpkins have horrible dental problems for some reason, <laughs> like universally, right? So, so pumpkins are like are like deformed, right? They have like crazy eyes or toothless smiles. That one tooth on the top and that one tooth on the bottom, and they don't even connect, so it can't really eat anything. In the classic jack o' lantern, um, the in a more sort of sinister way, a pumpkin head is like an absence of an actual head, right? It's a sort of a, a, a way of compensating for a wound. A horrible, horrible wound. And so the pumpkin is not perfect, right? The pumpkin is is a joke about its own inadequacy. Or not inadequacy, its own kind of like uh, dis- dismemberment. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it, the it's the presence It's the presence of an absence, right? Like even if you think of yeah. like, what is the substance of a jack-o'-lantern? Well, the substance of a jack-o'-lantern is actually the absence inside the jack-o'-lantern that allows the candle that you've placed in, you know, in the center of it to shine out through the holes, uh, the holes that you've cut. So, you know, the it's the absence both of surface um, and of interior. Interior. Uh, Mark, hey, you want to you want to uh, jump on the pumpkin? Yes, I do. I mean, you two have uh, so thoroughly overthought the notion of, of, of pumpkins and pumpkin nests that this is going to feel inadequate, but it needs to be stated. And it by and large piggybacks off a lot of concepts that Pete brought up. But like, you know, pumpkins mainly are being a signifier of things uh, being associated with Thanksgiving and the fall in the fall. You know, I, I personally associate more than the spring, uh, the fall as a season of rebirth, particularly because the academic calendar of the United States starts in the fall. Um, so with that, then, is this idea that, you know, school starting anew. Um, it's a time to begin again, to reinvent yourself. Um, let's have a special drink to go with that. And oh, by the way, um, uh, outside of the Northeast United States, I th- believe in the South and um, in, in the, the Sun Belt, um, and many parts of the United States, like school starts in mid-August or so. So you're already there, right? Uh, sure, fine. It's still 100 degrees outside and you're wearing short pants um, and you really ought to be drinking an iced coffee. Um, but uh, the, it, it's, it's time for uh, fall is right around the corner. So let's go ahead and start drinking our pumpkin spice lattes. Do you, do you guys buy that? 
I would say so that like the notion of the beginning of the school year, the idea that the uh, that the school year is the beginning of the year. And it's odd that the school year is at harvest time because the harvest is supposed to sort of be three quarters of the way through the year. And so we have this sort of clash of calendars. And so you have a kind of birth unto plaid that happens like uh, where like the uh, because I want to say there is also all these things also have masculine, more masculine or sort of. And of course, I'm talking about like in a literary sense, not in terms of a gender expression sense. People are not bound to the gourd uh, in how they describe or understand themselves. Uh, it's just tradition. But um, but yeah, like that, that the notion of being reborn in the sense of the school year is a notion that involves this kind of oranges and roundnesses and comforting blends of spices that are associated with foods that have these kind of ritualistic social qualities to them. Um, gingerbread houses. Right. When else do you make a dwelling for your food to live in? Right. Uh, so like, oh, your food has to go inside. Right. Isn't it nice that your food has a wonderful place to, to be inside of? I can think perhaps of a sushi boat. But, you know, the life on the sea is a harsh one. Uh, <laughs> and the purpose of the sushi boat is not the comfort of the sushi, but it, but perhaps the uh, the impressiveness of its entrance, which happens at the sacrifice of great art. It actually right? I mean, uh, like there's a, there's a difference in the same way that we sort of don't think about the animals we eat. There's there's a way in which the commodity mass, the, the means of production and the kind of the ultimate source um, of the, you know, animal flesh that we eat. The pumpkin is similar to that because there isn't I mean, I guess unless you eat like roast pumpkin wedges or something like that, which you could do, it would be kind of a pain because you'd have to scoop the the good part out of the skin but like there's no i i can't think of a fruit that where there is or a food where there is more other than meat where there's more difference between the form in which we think of it growing and the form in which we we think of it consuming like a carrot you could roast a carrot just in i mean i guess you'd peel it or or i scrub it real good at, at the very least or whatever but you could eat a carrot that looks like a carrot when you eat broccoli it looks like broccoli you know when you when you eat onions they look like they don't look like whole onions but they look like if you were to chop onions and then you cook them you know they look like the the cooked onions look like the chopped onions but a pumpkin is like uh usually consumed as as you know either as puree uh fortified with cream and eggs and stuff as in the uh, the case of pumpkin pie or you know um as a flavoring ingredient in other things as in like pumpkin bread or something like that like if you were to put it into like pound cake pumpkin pound cake or something like that you can make um you know, a, a delicious little autumnal treat that way. And so like there, there is this like, th- there is this kind of false consciousness <laughs> about the pumpkin, I suppose, in terms of like the story, the story you tell yourself about the pumpkin is very different from the pumpkin as you actually encounter it as a food stuff. And the, the story you tell yourself about the pumpkin is more propped up by like seeing jack-o'-lanterns and by seeing kind of dried out decorative gourds, uh, during decorative, decorative gourd season, my friends, um, that like, uh, the, uh, rather than the experience of, of eating pumpkin, which is a different, you know, uh, which is a, a, a different gourd altogether. 
Right. I mean, you can have it. You can eat a pumpkin like you eat a squash, but it's not a primary way of thinking about the pumpkin as a foodstuff. And I would even venture to say furthermore than that, I think you can eat pumpkin seeds. Right. Like, um, sure. but, but I mean, I think they oh, require yeah, some totally. preparation. They're kind of, they're kind of a add, pain to actually get out of the, like the pumpkin guts, but I guess you just dry yeah. them and uh, dry them in the sun and, and then it's probably easier. Well, but yeah, they're but del- that's just it. Yeah. yeah. They're delicious. But the pumpkin seed is notionally like the sunflower seed, right? Like I think that when I think of that kind of seed eating and I think of kind of, uh, a hard to eat seed that's salted and roasted, right. Um, I think of baseball, I think of kind of long time spent outside, which, you know, in a, in a sort of um, form factor sense, more matches the sunflower than the pumpkin, which is, of course, autumnal and on the ground. Right. As opposed to sort of reaching for, for the light. Um, so, yeah. So, like, even the ways in which you directly consume the pumpkin don't feel like the most pumpkiny ways to do it. Uh, the most pumpkiny ways are the ways that are the transformed ways where the pumpkin the substance of the pumpkin has been has been prepared in a manner that obscures uh, or that separates from from the way that you experience it as a physical object. Uh, I, I just I'm just agreeing with you. And I wanted to kind of add add because, uh, you know, the pumpkin is also like the peanut, except the peanut looks like a peanut. And, and even to the extent that chunky peanut butter is peanut butter with peanuts in it, as if to remind you that the peanut what a peanut is. Right. And it, as if to sort of reach across that gulf of uh simulacrum or of kind of dissociation right and say like no 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 this is made of peanuts right if you get like good chunky peanut butter right uh well i shouldn't say good because i think a lot of people are have a lot of fondness for the heavily manu the heavily kind of form factor you know or, and, or uh, let me say just butter. just because we did the cooking episode last week if you're making like peanut butter cookies the the uh hydrogenated fats the trans fats that are in the the worst kinds of the most processed peanut butter make for more delicious baked goods by far <laughs> than than the real you know oily stuff you gotta mix up with a knife in order to use uh, the real stuff <laughs> suffer <laughs> your your peanut butter cookie sh- when you when you mash when you put the little uh uh orthogonal fork marks into it like it should fall apart that dough should crumble it shouldn't cohere at all and you remember remember man that thou art dust and to dust thou shalt return it's a it's an autumnal ash wednesday for uh you know for you uh, to a uh, uh, memento mori um cucurbita it's a memento cozy it's, it's- <laughs> <laughs> the idea of lying down isn't a bad thing <laughs> when it's a, when it involves a pumpkin. But anyway, yes. sorry. Uh, Cucurbita, which is Latin for gourd, is a genus of herbaceous vines in the gourd family, uh, native to the Andes and Mesoamerica. Five species are grown worldwide for their edible fruit, variously known as squash, pumpkin, or gourd, depending on species, variety, and local parlance, and for their seeds. Uh, Other kinds of gourds, also called bottle gourds, are native to Africa and belong to the genus uh, Lagenaria, which is in the same subfamily and subfamily as Cucurbita, but uh, in a different tribe. Uh, These other gourds are used as utensils or vessels, and their young fruits are eaten much like those of the Cucurbita uh, species. So I guess like all of the, you know, all of your squash, all of your uh, common squash, your butternut squash, your summer squash, you know, all that stuff seems like um, 
it belongs to this particular genus and they are they are fruits because uh at least it, the uh file card you know definition of fruit i have is that it contains its it contains its own seeds though if there is a biologist listening i would love to be uh corrected or well actually um so yes the pumpkin uh the pumpkin is a fruit interesting since we started talking about the uh experience uh, uh, the, the physicalness of the pumpkin itself uh, would this be a good time to talk about the practice of going pumpkin picking to go out into a field and select one yourself and presumably your small child, which I mean, I'm told is a thing. I can't. It's better. This seems like the episode. No, let's do another. Okay, let's do, let's do another hour on that next week. Hey yeah. guys, I want to talk about platoon. Let's. Start <laughs> I'm not being to be. I'm not mean to be belittling. This, this, this is. It's so tempting to be a jerk. I don't mean to be a jerk. We all have a lot going on, right? And it's like, look, pumpkins are about comfort, and, right? And so, like, bashing people for liking pumpkin is stupid. And of course, like, of course, we should talk about pumpkin picking. Um, although I, mean, I would love to see us work it into a Full Metal Jacket podcast instead, but. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely. Well, I think, it's, I think I mean, it's it's something about the uh, duality of gourds, sir. <laughs> well, there's those are those are interesting those are interesting homonyms, right? Uh, gourd and gourd. Uh, are there is there ever a pair of homophones that is less considered in juxtaposition? Right? Like, well, I don't know when you. I mean, when you gourd? when you make a, a jack lantern, couldn't you say that your gourd is gourd? You might, you might. It, as a father, I should consider that for future use. Uh, <laughs> Mark, what? Uh, okay. Do you go pumpkin picking? What do you? What's your? Uh, what pickings do you was, indulge in? Are there other pickings? What is the? Let's set up a base picking expectation. What is the base rate of picking that you engage in on a recreational? What agricultural labor do you pay to do? Uh, <laughs> uh, we just we actually just went apple picking. Uh, okay. over, over Labor Day weekend. I've done that a few times. And that makes, uh, to me at least, it makes sense. It's like you go into the field, um, you pick the apples right off the tree, you get to sample their wares uh, while you're on the spot, eat some free apples, you know, above your, uh, you know, one peck allotment, um, which is great fun. Pumpkin picking, on the other hand, is not a thing for me. I do not oh. grow up doing it. Uh, I think my sister started to do it when she had kids, you know, several years before. I did, and I was like, okay, she's in the field and, and with, the, with her little kids, and they're, they're picking pumpkins, and I guess, okay, huh, that's a thing. Um, now that uh, I have a child of my own, to go pumpkin picking uh, would require me to rent a car and leave Manhattan, and uh, it seems like a lot more trouble than it's going to be worth just to get a pumpkin to bring it back. And uh, we're not like also not, we're also not jack-o'-lantern carvers here in this household, so the whole enterprise and endeavor is really lost upon me. So, Pete, I'm really looking forward to you explaining to me and to everyone else here, what is the deal with picking a pumpkin? Yeah, I, I grew oh, up. Okay. Sorry, I'll, I'll go real, real quick. Oh, I no. mean, we selected a pumpkin, I guess, from a, you know, an assortment of pumpkins, like decoratively arranged around hay bales as a kid. But the, the pumpkins and the hay bales were imported from elsewhere because Los Angeles is a desert and pumpkins right. do not yeah, do not grow here. So, Pete, you got to hold down the fort for the, the pumpkin picker. Peter, Peter, Peckle, P, Peter Fenzel picked a peck of pickled pumpkins that would be something if they were pickled <laughs> i also i guess what i'm the only celt that's from a northern climate <laughs> that, uh, that 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 sees the necessity of reforging the barrier between the realms of life and death this time of year by <laughs> engaging in various rituals no um yes that for sure <laughs> so so i i of course have a, a highly problematic 
And I mean that in terms of capital P problem relationship with apple picking because I like companionship but am allergic to apples. So I've gone many times, but I can't eat them raw or I get sick. So uh, so for me, the apple picking is, is solely about the experience of picking. But I, I would say that I did eat apples up until I was about 20 years old. And so I'm familiar with the idea that a good-looking apple is supposed to be a good-tasting apple, even if, of course, various interests have spent a lot of time and energy to prevent – to sort of – problematize that relationship right to give you the best looking apple which might not be the best tasting apple um and so you go apple picking to pick your own apples with the idea at least i think somewhat that you are getting good apples that that you get to choose the apples and nobody gets intermediate that choice for you and so you get good ones they are fresh they're right off the tree uh and they haven't been intermediated and also kind of you get to get it yourself and there's a certain amount of pride uh the pumpkin picking however is not about the quality of the pumpkin that you get as a foodstuff, right? As in my experience, in my experience, pumpkin picking, and I've done it all the, the three. I'd say that there, I think of there as being four different um, methods of pumpkin picking, right? And I, I mean, when you say pumpkin picking, what you really mean is like going out uh, to a field where the pumpkins are sitting in the dirt and picking up a pumpkin. But, you know, you don't really have to do that, right? I feel like there are there are activities that are proximate to actually picking the pumpkin off the vine that are close enough that that they're worth discussing and they vary in terms of their proximity. But um the 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 most common one is is in my experience is they went out to the field, they got a whole ton of pumpkins and they put them on a bunch of tables or they put them around on a parking lot, right? Or in an area with grass. You don't actually have to go to the field. They're kind of lying around, but you go and select the pumpkin that you want, right? Um, the third method is uh, the small pumpkin selector where, all, where, where it's only small pumpkins and they're all on tables. And this is notionally very different from them being pumpkins of various sizes that are all over the ground. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. And then the fourth method is the sort of uh, incidental pumpkin picking where a grocery store will put a bunch of pumpkins out front and that will sort of say, like, hey, remember this? This was fun. Right. Uh, and, and the big thing is that pumpkin picking almost always involves children and particularly small children. And as distinct from apple picking, which usually involves OkCupid dates. Right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> or like eHarmony commercials, but, um, but, uh, that's not true. You know, there's too much in the South. It's, they don't have as many pumpkins and apples and whatnot. Um, but the point being that, um, you pick a pumpkin to express yourself. The assumption is that you are going to make the pumpkin into a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. And as a small child, you are probably not going to do all the carving by yourself with the various sharp knives. You will sit with your family, and this is at least how I experienced it and how my, my uh, own siblings uh, do it with their kids and how I intend to do it uh, with my kid when he's old enough, is like the kid picks the face that will go on their pumpkin, right? At least this is the tradition in my family. But, and they might you know, help kind of draw it or pick it out of a book or describe it, right? And then the adult kind of maps with pencil – on the face of the pumpkin, the face of the jack-o'-lantern that you want. And the size and shape of the jack-o'-lantern, of course, is going to set constraints but also create opportunities 
for what kind of face of a pumpkin is going to look good, right? What kind of silliness do you want? Do you want a tall, skinny pumpkin? Do you want a short, fat pumpkin? Do you want a pumpkin that's got kind of a weird shape? Do you want a pumpkin that's very round, that's closer to a sphere than Taurus, right? Um, are you yeah, going for John Travolta? Or are you going for Nicolas Cage? Yes, yes. Are you going to, like, put the the, the cap on the sides so you can pull it off of one pumpkin and put it on the other? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you just going full-on Korean style and just get two pumpkins that look the same and just switch them? Um, but uh, I, sorry, it's, uh, or is that John Woo, Hong Kong? I mean, I get confused because, of, because John Woo is so global. Um, I don't know how to make a killer, the killer joke. I need to work that up. Not the killing joke, but the killer, the sort of predecessor to face off in much the same way that Infernal Affairs is the predecessor to uh, The Departed, except in it's modern, much, much less absurd. Anyway. Briefly, actually, uh, John Woo is Hong Kong, not Korea. But good right. Is John Woo Japanese? No, he's Chinese. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So 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 here's the thing. So the way the reason I get confused is because The Matrix is heavily influenced by John Woo. But I would also describe The Matrix as being heavily under Japanese influence in terms of its film technique as well as Chinese influence. And so I, I got confused as to whether John Woo was like a samurai filmmaker or a Hong Kong action kung fu filmmaker. Uh, and he's the latter. And he's, he does like Hong Kong action, cop action, right, and kind of like medieval other kinds of action stuff prior to making Face Off. Also, is, of course, yeah, a lot of, a lot of birds, a lot of, a lot of doves flapping, yes, right? Doves. During the, yeah. Stranglehold. Chinese fat. Of course it's Chinese fat. It's, 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 it's hard boiled. Is, is that John Woo? No, it's not. Spicy. Uh, do you mean yes, uh, spice, okay. spicy handed God of cops? <laughs> Anything so pumpkin spicy, pumpkin spicy handed. <laughs> I would love to be. <laughs> so, so we're calling on somebody to make something. Pump- is that actually exist? Let's see if pumpkin spicy handed exists. It is. But you the know, point is, I mean, it is. It is interesting, Pete. That like the the pumpkin picking, as you know, it is a kind of it is a mockery of the agricultural past of the United States, right? And and also. Um, it really a uh it's funny at the, at a time when we reforge the barrier between the living and the dead we also reforge our class divisions because in the the dictatorial con- control uh that the child exercises over the the parent implementer um you know, in the construction of the jack-o'-lantern, we see, do we not, a grotesque parody of uh, the relationship between capital and labor. And that, um, you know, it's very important to reforge uh, at this time when, you know, at this time when our uh, uh, the uh, sense of a kind of, you know, societal, like a potential breakdown of society, it's important that we reforge uh, the essence of capitalism uh, in even in our family relations um at the you know around the dinner table uh together as we uh, as we carve our pumpkins um dictatorially for some and uh, beleaguered for others so so i don't i'm not quite sure i follow so and i want to follow so a jack-o-lantern because i feel like the relation the sort of uh, if we are to use the parlance the relations of production as associated with pumpkins are are not of the sort that uh, Karl Marx would generally write about, right? Because they, because because pumpkins are not really commodified as a good, right? Like because they're, because they're sold for much more than they're worth, and they're not instrumental, right? Like they they're sort of decorative, and there's a lot of cultural expression, and um, and so they sort of uh, and as you mentioned, you know, he would have to call it a false consciousness 
because the you know his because he needs workarounds because his overarching philosophy doesn't allow for jack-o'-lanterns, uh, which I would suggest <laughs> maybe means that there are some underlying problems with the philosophy. But <laughs> if you need to come up with a whole new category just to sort of like patch over it, right? Um, which is like, but of course, so jack-o'-lanterns are also mm, not real faces, which I to, think we all need to acknowledge to pumpkin uh, to pumpkin patch over it, if you will. So are you saying that that pumpkin picking is bad? Or that pumpkin carving is bad? No, I'm not. I, I'm, or... I'm. I'm saying that. I'm saying that the pumpkin that that in creating, uh, in creating uh, miniature bosses, in creating a kind of, um, you know, uh, a kind of play acting of who's in charge, where the the child gets to play boss and the the parent has to play labor. Right. We're uh, we're indoctrinating. And, and of course, by saying I'm saying I'm actually not saying at all. But uh, but what I'm what I'm proposing heuristically uh, for the point of further overthinking is that we are we are indoctrinating uh, our children into a system of of bosses and of labor uh, by play acting a system uh, where they um dictate the uh they dictate the sort of means of production of the pumpkin and yet the actual production the work uh the value is generated um you know by a class of of alienated labor aka parents who you know uh who carve on behalf of the the children but do not do not taste the the fruits do not taste the the starchy fruits of their labor might i humbly (laughs) <laughs> and of course, with all respect, suggest that ideological purity is not sufficient reason to give a sharp knife to a child. <laughs> and, and perhaps we can carve out an exception. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps we, perhaps we can kind of take, take, you know, take, sip our little pumpkin spice latte and cozy and comfort ourselves a little bit of that particular anxiety. I know that there are kids who get to carve their own pumpkins from a young age. It's like the kid who gets to ride his bike or her bike really long distances. That wasn't me. Right. The kid who's like, oh, man, you know, I have I have, I guess, what, a vape pen now. I don't even know. <laughs> right? I'm sure kids now all by the time they're 10 are like, it's just it counts. It's just. Like, yeah, exactly. They're they're right. Exactly. They're levering up their allowance and like yeah. <laughs> buying Tesla. Yes. You know, that's but, I mean, I mean, this also I guess this also feeds into ideas of the outdoors because the pumpkin I think. OK, I think you actually are pointing out something pretty important. And, and I'm going to touch on this. Which is that the pumpkin, the pumpkin notion of autumn is not the scout notion of autumn, mm. right? Like, like that there's sort of an alternative American kind of harvest time non-farmer child tradition of participating in the outdoors in which dominant symbols are like campfires, right, and ghost stories and kind of backpacks, right, um, the Midnight Society, right, uh, and not gingerbread houses and blankets and uh, and smiling fruits that are called vegetables, right? It's like what and the, the sort of the scent, right? The the sense of autumn. Uh, the, the the I really I do detest when the scents get pumped out there, and I told you guys I'm sure my personal reasons, which I don't want to get into on the podcast because they're extremely sad, but personal reasons why I hate seasonal scents that get pumped into commercial spaces. Mm. Um, but, but I, but I do like 
uh, just like traumatic memories related to bad events that happen to people. But um, but I do very much appreciate and like the outdoor sense of the autumn, which is associated, I think, and also the sort of homey and cooking sense of the autumn that are created by the preparation of these foods, even if the ingredients in them might be, you know, you know, a little bit tweaked to make them more comfortable or or uh, more to perform better and not be sort of the, you know, totally from scratch or any of that stuff. And I guess what I'm asking, though, I'm going to asking, I suppose, is for you, does the autumn smell more like like ginger or like smoke? Right. Is it, is it pumpkin or is it fire? Right. Um, is, is the autumn like uh, is it blankets or is it sleeping bags? Uh, where's the cold? Is it outside or is it all around you? Right. Are you are you there to warm yourself or are you there to be warmed by others? Mm. Uh, and and I think that if you're on team pumpkin, you're probably not on team campfire. Um, right. And I'm, I'm just propo- I'm just probably sort of a random idea. Right. Like you don't they, they, Starbucks doesn't advertise the pumpkin spice latte as something that you drink like while you're sitting on the back of a pickup truck on a hill. Right. Because um, the other thing that we always picked in my family was Christmas trees. And so, like, picking pumpkins and picking Christmas trees are similar because they're acts of expression that take place in a sort of increasingly hostile climate environment. And I don't just mean that in terms of what Mark said we can all be angry about all the time if we want. Um, I mean that in the sense of it getting cold and windy and rainy and snowy. Um Sure. And all those things. Yeah. It's, you know, Peter, it's so interesting that that you say that I, to me, the smell of, of fall is definitely the smell of smoke and, and a fire for, for a very weird reason. Like, uh, in the, the particular neighborhoods, uh, where I grew up and where certain of my relatives lived in early childhood, you know, um, LA being a desert gets Mm. cold, gets cold right at night during the winter like the desert the desert is marked by a very high variance between um between the high and the low temperature you know especially uh especially during the winter and so like when the sun goes away it can drop 30 35 degrees on an on a normal day and like yeah okay that's the difference between like 85 you know high of 85 low of 50 right or uh, that's maybe extreme but low of 55 or something not not unheard of could happen um and it's like uh all my you know when i when i went to school back east all my east coast friends were like oh low of 55 the you think that's cold it's like no i I don't think that's cold i think that a 30 degree swing during the day is (laughs) is yeah, is is pretty extreme. Yeah, absolutely. It's like here, you know, here in the Northeast in the winter, it's you know twenty four during the day, but it's only twenty two at night. You know, like it's uh, it's relatively relatively constant. So um, there was this thing of like morning and evening fires in certain neighborhoods, like in the chimney, and so in the chim, you know, just in the fireplace um, as a like as a warmth thing and as kind of like a, a cheery thing to do during this time and so i have um especially since the 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 winter weather uh where i lived close to the close to the ocean uh often was fog and so like i have this um you know really uh a profound sense memory of um yeah, of like a foggy, a, a kind of a dark, foggy morning, and smelling the smelling the smell of like wood wood fire, um, you know, coming out of chimneys in our neighborhood and stuff. And that's so yeah, put me put me down for uh, put me down for for team campfire, Pete, because uh, for for uh, slightly different reasons, for non scout related reasons. 
I thought you we would also be remiss like not to. Sorry, go ahead. California wildfire direction. Oh God, it's so, awful. Well, I, just I, mean, express, uh, I want to express sympathy, of course, for everybody who is dealing with that. Uh, I thought that's what you were going to go for too, as well. But, no, it's um, not. And, and I hope actually, doing okay. So, I mean, the th- the thing is, this level of of wildfire belongs to the kind of climate that Mark was referring to early <laughs> on, uh, about which we can all, you know, justifiably be enraged perpetually, right? Like it was not this extreme. A you know, the idea of a wildfire season uh, certainly one this extreme was not a feature of my my growing up here for the you know two decades that I grew up here before I went to college. Like, uh, uh, this is a, this is a new and, and disturbing and, you know, sad and enraging phenomenon and, and people are really suffering from it right now. I mean, the, the sky, I'm very lucky in that I, you know, I don't live at the interface of the wilderness, so I'm not particularly affected by it thank goodness but that um you know but the 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 sky is kind of like orangey brown (laughs) you know and i'm i'm hundreds of miles from from uh anything threatening like the the um i should say dozens uh because there's one a little east of of here it's uh yeah it's a it's a sad time but it is that is a more recent it is a more recent phenomenon just for you know in in kind of banal point of fact that like uh it's not part of my early memory of of growing up here because it's a much more recent phenomenon anyway yeah awful that so 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 to take it to, to lighten it up a little bit um so here, here. So okay. So what we've been trying, what I've been trying to argue or propose, is that the participation in a transition into autumn that involves pumpkin is kind of surprisingly complicated, and does involve making choices that involve feelings and thoughts about how you live, uh, and and what you value, and kind of how you, the sort of rhythm of the year goes for you, and what you think about yourself. And also, ostensibly, uh, what you think about children and how children should experience the world and whether they should have sharp knives or not. Um, I would contrast the pumpkin spice latte. So, so, I, so I did set up a little bit of a framework here where, where we're trying to identify the pumpkin in opposition to kind of other autumnal traditions that are not as cozy, <laughs> right? Like, like pumpkinness is coziness. And it is early coziness. It's not like you're not really buckling down for the winter. Pumpkin is not gingerbread. It is early gingerbread. It is saying it is, the summer is over. I am not going to wait to cover myself in blankets. Um, and I'm going to bring in the little kid and a little vest and a little plaid shirt. And it's and they're going to point out the face that they want. And it's going to be a grand old time. And we're going to reinforce that boundary between the lands of the living and the dead and whatnot. Um, but uh, but but here's here's something I think there is a greater failure here. I think that we're misdirecting our anger and our disappointment. And I'm going to try to point out a, a candidate, perhaps, for the gr- a greater degree of kind of dismay. And perhaps it's just not a big enough part of our culture or culinary culture uh, to deserve it, the effort. But I would propose this. Uh, Yeah, pumpkin spice lattes don't have any pumpkin in them. Pumpkin spice isn't about having pumpkin in it. It's a it's a spice combination that's used in the preparation of other pumpkin dishes. But the word pumpkin is included primarily because it conjures these kinds of notions of autumn. Fair. The pumpkin spice latte, I've had one. It's nice. It's not that different from a regular latte. Uh, I'm sure people would disagree with me in that respect. Uh, I would love to hear their opinions on it. If you care a lot about this sort of thing and feel very passionately about it, by all means, you know, 
write a thousand words in the comments on our website. We'd love to read them. If there's nowhere else on the Internet where we will greet your message with positivity, uh, it will be on overthinking it. Uh, But I would suggest that the true betrayal is the s'more. Uh, because the s'more is the bridge. Shut your mouth. <laughs> no, no, no. This is what I'm saying. Let me finish. Right? <laughs> oh, sorry. No, maybe not let me finish, but let me at least get to the beginning. <laughs> it might take me a long time to finish. Um, the, the s'more is the bridge between the blanket and the smoke, between the pumpkin and the fire, between the idea that the wintry and autumnal climate is something that you need to ward yourself against as an enemy or something that you will be warmed in in protection by somebody who cares for you, right? It's this idea of kind of uh, kind of self declaration in a matter of kind of independence uh, versus like kindness and compassion and kind of social connection to other people. The s'more bridges these gaps because it brings that sense of comfort into the space of fire, right? And mm. and and a real s'more is so good. <laughs> First of all, it's so good in general. Yeah, perhaps the so perhaps the best doing that. Yeah, yes. And you know what? You don't have to have a campfire to make a, a really good s'more. You can make one in your oven. There's a couple of different ways you can make them at home. However, I would say that other culinary combinations of marshmallow and chocolate and potentially graham cracker are so completely inadequate relative to the s'more that calling them s'mores is offensive. Mm. Right? Like, or that it just, I would say that like, if you were to have like, say a s'more latte, right? A s'more latte is going to be so inadequate at capturing that sense of comfort that's associated with a s'more. Um, because kind of, uh, Cold prepared marshmallows. Yeah, they they don't have the toastiness. Oh, it's awful! And it's the awful. toastiness is so important, right? Pete, I'm I'm like, so sorry. I, I I want to apologize unreservedly for my uh, outburst earlier because I no, I no, no no I know where you came from. I, I misunderstood yeah. completely what you were saying. Uh, I you know I think maybe literally say the greater the the greater betrayal is the s'more, but what you meant is the greater betrayal than the betrayal of pumpkin is the betrayal. Of the s'more, and that's yes, uh, the pump, yes. right. D- pumpkin that, spice yeah. does the pumpkin better than s'more flavoring does the s'more. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll say that, that overthinker Ryan Sheely and I have a, uh, have an ongoing kind of text thread where we text each other pictures of s'more flavored things. And it's, uh, are and, you serious? Oh yeah. Yes. Oh man. I thought <laughs> I was the only one who noticed how terrible these things No, we were. actually, I think I may still have like a s'more.tumblr.com. <laughs> uh that uh where we where we for a time maybe there are only like one or two pictures up there but we intended to start a tumble log of of pictures of on like on dinner menus the on dinner menus a um you know a s'more inspired dessert uh you know a s'more flavored uh ice cream s'more flavored ice cream sandwiches with graham cracker crusts oh gus is with me and he is really uh he's a basset hound so he's a very 
very autumnal dog, and he's uh, he's a big fan of the uh, of the s'more. But yes, thank thank you, Pete. I I thank you for your service. I I am I am grateful for you for standing up for the uh, the essential goodness, the the perfection, uh, even of the oh, so, uh, of so the it's s'more. like a like a s'more <laughs> Is your s'more tumbler? Is that what it is? I, or is think, that... so. I think so. I, I'll put a link in the show notes if I've gotten the uh, if I've gotten the url wrong um a little uh, bit archive. hey we're we're uh we're over time but pete i wanted to you you had expressed a little bit um you know uh of a question in your mind about whether you are going to take uh your child pumpkin picking this year yes um yes. and i i uh teased you with a proposal of a of a better idea and i didn't tell you what it is let me let me tell you what it is now don't take your kid pumpkin picking because it's it's you know miserable to take a, a tiny child out into the cold um for you and for them they won't remember it and i guess you'll get a picture out of it but but um, you can get uh, just as good or a better picture if you do this. Dress the child as a pumpkin <laughs> with, a, with a big orange onesie with a jack-o'-lantern face on it. And this is key, a little pumpkin top hat yes. with a stem coming out of it. Oh. Uh, when, when I, when and and if that doesn't them. reinforce the boundary between life and death, I don't know what <laughs> Man, when we were sitting down to plan this, I was thinking... I wonder if we're going to talk about outfits where people have the top of the pumpkin as a hat and the rest of the pumpkin as their body, which is so amazing because your whole body becomes your face, Uh right? It's just, it's mind blowing. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's, that's uh, I feel like that is the dominant strategy for very young child pumpkin interaction. Um, You know, uh, just a proposal, whatever, whatever you do is uh, you know, you do what you do, what's right for you you but it would be hard to top for cuteness i think the little uh the little hat where the the you know the top of the pumpkin is the um the, the top of the pumpkin is the is the baby's hat mm. well hey this has been uh, uh uh most delicious i'm uh overthinking a podcast i'm i'm thirsty guys i are you thirsty i mean it's uh it's um nighttime when we record this and it's really late for you guys but i just i want to go out and suck down a like two or three hundred milligrams of caffeine surrounded by 32 ounces of milk uh that's uh <laughs> of, of hot milk, well put on right? a put on a sweater matt and get out there yeah all right we're, we're gonna do that Gus and i are gonna go right now all right thanks very much for listening pete mark thank you for this journey into pumpkin spice uh land we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't. He's putting in a Starbucks order. (laughs) (laughs) I have a pumpkin spice latte for gas. It's (laughs) gus. It's gus.